Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Thank you. I didn't put him up to that, by the way. Hey, uh, great to see you all here tonight. I know it's uh, school holiday time, so great to see some families here and uh, some of the younger people, uh, as well as some of the older people, because we're all young to somebody, aren't you? You know, I got a friend of mine whose uh, who's grandma was the oldest person in Queensland, 112. And uh, so I kind of figure, you know, compared to that, I'm really, really young. I'm almost a teenager compared to that. So, you know, it doesn't matter how old you really are. Uh, we're just going, great to have all the folks up from Mandurah, from our Mandurah campus. We think you're brilliant. Well done. Uh, and so fantastic. I'm wearing this shirt tonight uh, for two reasons. One is because I just plain think it's a really cool T-shirt. And secondly, because I want to honour all the serving teams, particularly our host teams, both in Mandurah and in Perth, by the way, people that are volunteers. You know, the reality is we could never do even one twentieth of all the things we do if it wasn't for the great army of volunteers that keep serving right across the life of our church. There are people that are in all kinds of jobs and all kinds of careers. Some of them are students like Lizzie up here speaking about giving and she's a university student for goodness sake. I'll tell you, it's doubly powerful when you're at uni and you tell everyone to give. My goodness gracious. So uh, I really just wanted to honour them and plus I just plain like the t-shirt. And the only way to get one, apart from being senior pastor, uh, the only other way to get one is to join the host team and be a part of that. So uh, there you go. I've given them a bit of a plug and love you to be a part of it. One more thing before I get to the word with you quickly tonight. Um, I'm real excited about Family Sunday. Uh, several months ago, I was in a, a cafe in Riverbank, I think it's called, in Ipswich in Queensland, visiting Rhonda, my wife, visiting her mum. And uh, I'd gone down to get something or other at the big shopping centre there. I'm waiting for Rhonda and, and, and the lady come up to serve me coffee. And, you know, I just almost burst out saying, how's your family? I think it was a Holy Spirit moment, really, where I became aware of a need in her life. But, you know, I didn't say anything because I, I thought, she doesn't know me. I'm not from here. I don't have a church to recommend it to. And I didn't want to kind of freak her out. And I actually drove back the next day looking for an opportunity to speak to her again, but she wasn't available there at that time. I missed my moment. And so I came away from that thinking, families in our world right now are under such stress. You've got neighbours, you've got people that you work with. I've already come up with at least 20 people that I'm going to go to, people that know my name. Uh, people at the place where I get coffee most regularly. They know me by name. Hi, Jeff, how you going? And so I'm going to take them one of these. On the front, it's got Family Sunday, 21st October, 2018. On the end there, it says, we'll be praying for you. When you turn it over, it says first name and then prayer needs. So I'm going to go to my neighbours and say, hey, our church is having Family Sunday where we're praying for families. Is there anybody in your family you'd like us to pray for? And then I'm just going to jot it down. I'm not giving it to them. I'm going to jot it down on the spot. Then I do this. Tear off. It's all perforated beautifully, I believe. Yep, there it is. And you just tear that off and you give them this part. 
that's got the address for Mandurah and Perth, service times and all that on there. And I leave them with that. I come back with this, bring it to church the next Sunday. And uh, then we're going to put them all, both places, a gigantic bowl. We're printing a thousand of these because I expect that lots of you here will be like me. And it's so easy. I'm not saying you've got to come to church on that Sunday. I say, I'll be there. I'll be praying. And my church is going to be praying for you. So grab a hold of those. Well, there are not a thousand of them out this weekend. That'll be next weekend. And uh, you'll all be able to be a part of that. So I just want to let you know some of where that came from and what it's about so that you can uh, start thinking of who can I invite along. If they know your name, you can invite them along on that night, all right, that day. It'll be morning and night, by the way. Great. All right. Fantastic. Thank you for that welcome, uh, Michael and Lizzie. Give them a big hand. That was their first time up there. And... and uh, Sometimes you're a scary looking bunch and uh, they did so well. Thank you so much. Let's go to the Word of God together. We've been speaking on the subject of beginnings all through this month of September because that's the Word that the Lord gave us for 2018. And so I wanted us to, to kind of jump into it again. This morning I spoke part one in this campus. Pastor Ray spoke in Mandurah. But this morning I spoke on life in the middle and I'd encourage you to get a hold of the podcast of that or that you can order the CD. Matter of fact, you can get the CD faster. You can get that tonight. You can get the podcast, though, that's free on Wednesday. And so let's start reading in 1 Samuel chapter 30, just six verses only of 1 Samuel 30. This is one of my favourite, most inspiring passages in the whole of the Scripture. It says this in verse 1, Now it happened... When David, yep, that's the David of David and Goliath fame. When David and his men came to Ziklag, that's their home base, on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, had attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. They'd taken captive the women and those that were there from small to great. They didn't kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Now watch this. Then David and his men, all the people who were with him, lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Verse 6 says, Now David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself. The King James Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, tonight there are people here in front of me and there are people watching this podcast and hearing it uh, somewhere rather around this great land or even around this earth. And God, they're hearing it and they know that they're in a place right now that they did not anticipate. They thought, Lord, it would be so much quicker, so much easier. They didn't anticipate the level of struggle that they now find themselves in. 
And God, I believe tonight that by the Holy Spirit, you want to strengthen and encourage people for the journey that lies in front of them. Your goal, Lord, is not that we survive, but that we come to complete victory. Lord, your goal is not that we flame out like some kind of a shooting star, having a moment of strength, a moment of glory, a moment of impact, but you've designed us to go from glory under glory. So help us tonight, I pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. And amen. David in this place now looks back over many, many years it's been since he was out mining the sheep on a hillside on his father's property when a servant came up to him and said, your father and the prophet Samuel, who was known as the voice of God, everybody lived in awe of the ministry of the prophet Samuel. The Old Testament says about him that not one word of his ever fell to the ground. Nothing he declared did not come to pass. So the whole of Israel holds this man Samuel in great awe. They know that he never turns up just because he happened to be going past. They know that he's a man on a mission from God And so when David, the shepherd boy, and he is only a teenager at that point, I shouldn't say only a teenager because you can be a teenager and be greatly used by God. But this guy is doing a pretty low grade job. It's not something sought after. And there he is on the hillside when the message comes, your father wants you. The prophet Samuel has come. Well, I guess he just kind of figures that, you know, he's being asked to come up to celebrate or whatever. But the awesome privilege of being able to meet the man of God must have got his heart racing as he went there. But the moment he walks into the house, he knows something's wrong. His brothers, Eliab, the eldest, strong, the, the tallest, the, the, the one with the, the most, you know, rippling muscles, the, the one who everybody assumes is to take over from dad, from Jesse. He's the leader of all of the rest. He's the biggest, the strongest. And when he walks in, there's Eliab standing over against the wall, shuffling his feet, head bowed to the ground. Then he looks around at all the other brothers and sees the same look on all their faces. And he wonders what on earth it could be that that. Uh, the prophet Samuel has turned up to declare. Well, he walks in the door and you can hardly believe the way this works. But Samuel, the prophet of God, the man of God, who never does this just because he's feeling positive or wants to encourage, uncaps the sacred horn of anointing oil. That was forbidden in the Old Testament for you to replicate upon pain of death. Nobody was allowed to copy it. It belonged only to the man of God. It was his prerogative to use it to declare what God wanted to do and pour it on an individual. And everybody would know that if that oil touched you, if that oil landed on your life, then you were destined for something great. Well, he sees Samuel uncap it and I guess he wonders who it's going to be. But Samuel walks past Eliab and walks past the brother. He walks past the father. He walks past all of them. And blow me down, Samuel's walking toward him. 
And Samuel comes right up to David, still smelling of the sheep. And he gets the anointing oil and then tips it on David's head. I don't know what you would have thought, but I know what I would have thought. I know I would have thought to myself, my goodness, what will my life look like? How amazing. But you know, I think the next day he went back to sheep, went back to serving, went back to doing what he knew to do. He he goes back to that. And life just seems to somehow rather go on. But then one day his father Jesse says, you know, there's a big battle going on. There's a war between Israel and the Philistines. I want you to take some supplies to your brothers and then also take some to their boss, the captain. And the reason he did that was because he wanted to make sure that the captain didn't put his sons in the heat of the battle. He's really kind of trying to keep his boys in the good books. And so he sends David again from one, listen, never despise the simple jobs. Never despise the moments. I was saying to Ben, I hope Ben doesn't mind me uh, announcing this, wherever Ben is, where are you, back there? Stand on up, Ben. This is Ben Stafford. Ben, we all celebrated about, we all celebrated about a, a month ago that Ben had been selected, made the final 10. Uh, in a songwriting competition for people with mental health issues. Not that he's got them, but a song to help people. Uh, a song to help people that are going through those things. And Australia-wide comp, he made the final 10. But Ben never won. And so, you know, Ben comes back and, and, and we're all thinking still, to make the top 10, that's pretty awesome. Then I discovered this week from his mum, who's sitting in the front row, I discovered that they were so impressed with Ben's song. The judges said, we are going to make a special place. We're giving him a wild card entry into the finals in Sydney in November. And what, But, you know, I was saying to Ben before the service, Ben, it's a long way, isn't it, from playing guitar and singing in kids' church because that's where he started. And who would have known that all those years ago when that skinny little kid was jumping up and down in kids' church? Huh? So listen to me. Don't despise some of the small tasks. I'm wearing this shirt tonight because I want to honour all the people that do all the small things that allow us to come into the great presence of God and to have our life profoundly impacted and changed. But it's because there are people, our production team up there, somebody right now is watching a whole lot of dials and things that I can't make the first bit of sense out of. Somebody up there is getting the notes that I give you so you can look at the Scripture on the screen. Somebody knows what I would wouldn't have a clue what to do, but somebody's doing something back there. Never despise the small things that God puts in your way. David goes from looking after sheep, anointed to be king. Then he's up delivering a message to his brothers. But you know the story, it's while he's up there that he hears a giant man come out for 40 days and taunt all of Israel. Comes out and he says, You know, give me a man that we may fight together. Come on, come on, bring out your best and let's do it like man to man is what he's saying. 
Well, David hears all that and we've all, I'm sure, know the story that David uh, watches everybody run in fear from this guy. David says, I'll go and fight him. They all go, you can't do that. You're too young. You can't do that. You're not experienced enough. You can't do that. But see, David, I think, has heard a whisper that came when that oil touched his life. And David heard a whisper. See, I believe tonight that there are people here. And when you gave your life to Christ, you heard, too heard a whisper. I know I did. I know I walked into a building and I watched someone on the stage and I never heard a voice, uh, an audible voice or anything that drastic or remarkable. But I remember a, a quiet whisper that was there just inside of me. Nobody else heard it. And to be really honest, on that day, nobody would have thought this guy will ever do anything. But I heard a little whisper. I heard a little whisper inside of me that said, you're going to do that. And I watched this person up on the stage and they were so experienced and they were so gifted and I knew nothing. Honestly, I didn't know half where the, I still don't know where some of the books of the Bible are, I think. I know they're all there, but I've got to sing the little song to find out where Zechariah is. It's actually the book before Malachi. But anyway, the, the deal is this. David goes up there and nobody thinks this guy's got it. He's just going up as a messenger boy. But on that day, you know the story. David goes out, slings around the stone, the despised thing, bang. Hits Goliath right in the forehead. Down goes Goliath. David goes up, chops his head off. Sorry about the gruesome detail. Uh, but it's in there. <clears throat> and that's what he did. But now when we read this story in 1 Samuel 30, it's like forever ago. Come on, some of you here, it's forever ago. It's forever ago that God spoke to you and said, I'm going to bring someone into your life. It's forever ago that's, that God spoke to you about a dream of a business, about something that he wanted you to do. For some of you here, you've carried the dream for year after year, after year, after year. And every day the calendar ticks over seems one day not closer to it, but further from it. And that's exactly the way David feels at this point. When we read this passage in 1 Samuel 30, it's years have gone past. He's no longer a 16-year-old boy out on the sheep hillside looking after a few sheep, singing some songs that later will become the Psalms. He's not doing that. Now this boy has become a man and he's been praised and he's been persecuted. He's been loved and he's also been loathed. He's been celebrated by people you know, he's been chased by people as well. It's a long, long way back. And now he's been hiding out for years, waiting for his day. And then this turns up. He doesn't know it, but he's in the middle. Everything, and I mean everything, is about to change. I think I spoke it only a couple of weeks ago here on a Sunday night that First Samuel 30 is followed obviously by 1 Samuel 31. And in that chapter, the 
two people that have persecuted him. Well, the person, rather the one who's persecuted him the most and his best friend are killed in battle, Saul and Jonathan. The next chapter is 2 Samuel chapter 1. Well, it's 2 Samuel chapter 2. So three chapters later from where we read this worst day. I'm here to tell you tonight that many of you that are in the middle of something, you've launched out, you had your dream, you had what you believed, you had the thing that, that got you going and now you're in a place where all of that just seems like a distant memory, a dream of long ago. The 601 people in this story, 601 of them, David plus 600 men, but one man. I love the one person parts of the scripture. You know, Jesus hung on a cross and he was just one, but he changed all of human history in the entire world. You go, yeah, but he's God. But I would point to you like people like Saul, Saul who becomes the apostle Paul, one man literally changed the entire non-Jewish world. Don't tell me that one is not enough because I'd say to you, one that surrendered to God is always going to be a majority in any environment, in any situation. This guy steps out, one man made all the difference, listen to it, not because of anointing, not because of talent, not because of experience, not because of calling. You see, every one of the 601 experienced the same circumstance. Some of you here tonight would say to me, oh, pastor, I'd love to, but you don't understand where I'm at. Pastor, I'd love to, but you don't understand what I've been through. Oh, pastor, I'm sure God can, but you know, right now is a difficult space. Well, everybody went through the same circumstance. Everybody experienced the same emotions. Verse four says, they all wept. Everybody. Listen, the anointing of, listen to me, the anointing of God does not save you from trouble. It saves you in trouble. The Bible doesn't say, you know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want and I shall never have a problem. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the side of the still waters. He restores my soul. But verse four rocks up and goes, there I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, maybe you're a student here and uni exams are coming up and you're going, whoa, how am I? You know, it's not looking so great. Maybe you're a business person here. Maybe your career's underway. Maybe you're an older person here and you're looking at it going, I never planned for this to be this way. I do know this, that all these people had the same experience, but one man did it differently to everybody else. The truth is, of course, it's not where you are, but it's what you do where you are that always makes all the difference. I've thought about this guy. I've been in some difficult places in my life. I, I, I can't claim that level in I'm sure your story would be worse than mine. But I do know what it's like to be in a place where you feel like your mind won't stay in a healthy place. It won't latch hold of the things that you've believed and held on to. 
And your mind can push you back all the time into worry and fear and doubt. Into, well, what about and how come? And if God was, then why? And all of those other things. But I watched this story and recognised 601 men suffered loss. 601 men wept until they're exhausted from grief. But one man starts looking for the secret place. You know the verse, don't you? Psalm 91 verse 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You might be interested to know that the word secret there, is that it? Thank you so much. The word secret, thank you, Nikki. Give Nikki a big hand. She just, uh, <clears throat> Nikki just finished playing the lead role in Dracula as the, as the lead ballet. Do you, do you call them ballerinas anymore? Oh, okay, yeah, well, she was a, she's a lead ballerina anyway. So, and then she's been the nutcracker, sweet thing after that. So it's pretty good. So th- let me show you what the word secret means in the Bible. Because for some of us, we think a secret means nobody will ever know it. This is secret. This is what Psalm 91 verse 1, the word secret literally means to cover, to hide by covering. Now, let me ask you, how many of you people here think there's nothing in front of you right there? Huh? How many of you people know exactly that there's something there, but if you hadn't seen it before, you might know what it was? Uh, but you know there's something there. See, secret doesn't mean God won't let you find it. Secret just means it's covered, it's not obvious. And this guy, David, starts going around while 601 men are grieved. One man says, there's got to be a secret place here somewhere. I thank God I cannot count all the times when everybody else said it was impossible, when nobody said it could be done. I remember the building before this one that we got. I remember this building. Matter of fact, we've never had a building that wasn't a miracle. I remember the last one I'd offered the government, they owned it. And I offered them uh, a huge sum of money as an annual rent. We just wanted to lease it back in those days. And they said, no, we're going to knock it down. I raised it by 25%. And they said, no, I raised it by another 25%. They said, no, I raised it by another 25%. They said, no. And one day out of the blue, I get a phone call from a real estate agent who's not even a believer. And he said, I hear you're looking for a building. I said, yes, I am. He said, have you considered and named the very building that I had offered, made four offers on? And I said, oh, Sam, they've said no to that. He said, leave it to me. One week later, I'm in the, the head of the government, the permanent head of the department. I'm in his office with two senior managers, me and the real estate guy. And the permanent head says this, He said, I know these people, talking about our church. He said, you know, I've walked past and seen what they do to help the poor and we are going to help them. Well, you know, I just sat there. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just like, gotcha. And this guy, uh, then the two managers say, you can't. The minister, I had it in writing from the minister of the department saying that they wouldn't give it to anyone. And I'm sitting there, I'm just, you know, I'm just the fly on the wall because the, the permanent head, the, the managers are saying, the minister said no. And this guy said, I don't care what the minister 
Just said, I'm telling you, we're giving it to them. I didn't know they could do that. <laughs> I had government stationery. But you know what? My friend, the real estate agent, then piped up and said, now, and he named the man. He said, you know, these people do so much good, you're not going to charge them much, are you? I, I'd offered them a ridiculous sum. He offered them less than 10% of my first offer. 3% of my final offer. And he said, yes, that'll do. (laughs) He that dwelleth in the secret place. Come on, I don't know what you've got going on in your life, but I do know there's a secret place. It's not that you can't find it but you've got to uncover it. You remember when you played hide and seek when you were a kid? When you played hide and seek, was the person you were looking for there? Huh? Were they there? That's the whole purpose of the game, isn't it? You don't play hide and seek with Mr. Invisible. Huh? You play hide and seek with someone. You know what I mean? You know they're in the house. They're not allowed to be in Afghanistan or Kazakhstan or you know, or Siberia somewhere or other, you know they're there. God is not playing hide and seek and saying, now you can't find me. He's saying, he that dwelleth in the secret place. It's not where you are. It's what you do where you are that makes all the difference. One man looks for the secret place. I don't know about you, but I need to find a few secret places. Anybody else in the building? There's a few secret places I need to find. There's a few things where I'm going, God, I, I, I don't know. God, I, you know, anybody here got some things where you go, it's years have elapsed. Well, I, you know, you can sit around and allow the emotions of it all to become the only voice in your life or else you can start saying, God, I've got to uncover this. I've got to uncover this. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, I am still seeking. I'm still pursuing that which first apprehended me. He said, something touched my life and I'm chasing it ever since. Many of you here would know what it's like. You know that the anointing of God has touched your life. You know that God brushed against you for a purpose and a reason. And my question to you is not how's life? My question to you is, have you uncovered the secret place yet? Have you found that place? I know, maybe I, I well, I don't go to every church, so I don't know anymore. I wouldn't know whether anybody else in the world preaches this, but if they don't, would you hear it from me tonight? Would you say inside of your heart, there's got to be more than just going to church. There's got to be more than just being a believer, hoping one day to punch the heavenly entrance card. God, can my life count? God, can my world be changed because I existed? Oh, I'm only just a boy, but a boy is in this place. A boy wrote Psalm 91 and he wrote it after years of saying, I'm looking for something. I haven't found it yet. So it's not where you are. But it's what you do, where you are, that makes all the difference. Let me give you some things that I think 
are important for all of us before we pray. Here's the second thing. When you're in the middle, look to God. You know, 600 men, if you'd gone and surveyed them all and said, what are you thinking? Who is, who's your focus? Do you know what you would have found? Every one of them were focused on David. Verse 6 says they spoke of stoning David. Why? They spoke of, da- stoning, da- spoke of stoning David because they said you're to blame for our predicament. You know, it's so easy to get into a spot and to think it's because of them or, you know, I'm in the wrong place or the wrong time or the wrong family or the wrong whatever. But one man, when he got in the middle, looked to God, says in verse 6, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Everybody else is saying it's your fault. And he goes, I'm going to go looking for God. Don't you think that remarkable? I do. I think it's remarkable that at the worst day of his life, in the worst moment of his life, one man says, oh, I think it's time to find God. How many of the rest of us have got into places like that and we go, it's time to check out. It's time to give up. I'm sick of church, didn't work. Huh? I remember, anybody here ever chucked a tanty? You know what a tanty is, don't you? A tantrum. Anyone here ever chucked a tanty on God? I still remember, I was only a new Christian. And I remember, I can tell you where I was. It was that plain in my mind. I remember where I was. I was volunteering for the church and, and nothing was happening. And I'm there telling God, I'm never tithing again. I tithe and look, no windows of heaven open on me. I, the only thing came out of, out, out of there into my letterbox was bills. And I'm telling God, what's wrong? You know? And it's so easy to get in that space. Look at what Psalm 121 says. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from mountains? No, my strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and mountains. He won't let you stumble. Your guardian God won't fall asleep. Not on your life. Israel's guardian will never doze or sleep. God's your guardian. Right at your side. Oh, come on. Right at your side to protect you. Shielding you from sunstroke. That's everything in the day. Sheltering you from moonstroke. Everything at night. God guards you. See, I think many of us get so consumed with the things God hasn't done. And when we die and get to heaven, when Jesus comes back, we're there anyway. We will discover all the times God rescued us. And we had no idea even was even coming to waters. But He saved you. Don't let the focus be on all the stuff that's not happening in your life. Thank God for all the things He protected you from you don't know anything about. He guards you when you leave and when you return, He guards you now. He guards you always. One man, when you're in the middle, look for God. Come on, I know there's people here tonight, you're in the middle. I want to encourage you, come on. Don't, 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 don't yes, but. Yes, but. You know, Jesus said the sheep and goats. Sheep go ba ba. Abba, Abba. <laughs> Goats just go, but. You ever talk to somebody, no matter what you tell them, yeah, but. Yeah, but. You're amazing, yeah, but. You look good today, yeah, but. You kind of go like, you ever had someone, you give them a compliment, it just flicks off them like Teflon. They're a Teflon Christian. <laughs> Nothing sticks. God's going to help you, yeah, but. You kind of go like, hello, well, this is not a cooking demonstration. Let something stick. Amen. Come on, bake it into the bottom of the pan. Amen. 
I can tell you over the years, I've kept all my Bibles, my old Bibles, because I've underlined in them so many of them and written dates in them where God spoke to me. I remember being on a, on a youth camp and uh, it was Gordon Nagus, a grand Aboriginal brother who was preaching that day. I can't remember what he was preaching on, but oh man, he was on fire. He lit and he was, he was, he was lit, brother. He was lit that day. But I remember being in that place and out of nowhere, and I didn't think it was out of my memory. I didn't know enough of the Bible, but came that verse in 1 Peter 4. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That day, the shyness that had kept me from stepping out of any space, stepping out that day, that verse dealt a death blow to the shyness that had always dogged my life. The sense of inferiority. Why? Because there came a moment right there where this, the, the things of God, look for God. Look to God. Come on. It's there. He's not hiding from you. He's not trying to stop you finding Him. He just says, look for what's covered because that's where it is. Amen. Huh? If I cover up the pulpit and I go, where's the pulpit? You're, gonna, you're not going to go, oh, no, it's disappeared. <laughs> you're going to go, it's there. Huh? It's under the cover. You go, what cover? Some people just don't, you know, they want grab hold of it. When you're in the middle, look for God. Number two, number three, when you're in the middle, lean on God. Lean on God. David strengthened himself in the Lord is God. Can I say this to you honestly and from the depths of my heart? And I don't like that it's true, but it is. It's actually not what everybody else says that matters. But it is what you say that matters. Come on. It's what you say. It's what you say. Some of us have got so attuned to public opinion. It seems to me like every week I read another report. There was one in the paper today about social media and its effects on people's body image and all that stuff. And I'm going, the answer is not get rid of social media because you can't. The answer is let's build the kind of people that go, you know, it's not what someone else says about me. It's what I say about me. Amen. I just happen to believe Psalm 139 verse 14. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I just look at this and go, you're awesome. (laughs) Or don't be proud. Well, there is pride where you think you're better than other people. But it's not being better than other people to go, you know what, God, God, you know what, you're all right. Amen? Turn to yourself and say, you're all right. 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 Some of us are waiting for our husband, our wife, our mother, our father, our kids, our pastors, our bosses, our whatevers. We're waiting for all of them to tell us that we're all right. When according to the Bible, Jesus already declared you more than all right. He declared you righteous. Like, hello. That's like he stuck gold medals all over you and said, welcome. You're in. You're it. You're the favorite. Amen. It's just that he's got like a billion favorites. But he said, you're the favorite. We're all there going, oh, yeah, but, yeah, but. Hello, get out of the goats. Amen. Come on. Move over to the sheep. Huh? When you're in the middle, look to God. When you're in the middle, lean on God. Number four, when you're in the middle, uh, listen for God. 
Look to God. Lean on God. Listen for God, to God. I was thinking about this verse. never struck me until I was preparing this message. James 1.5 says this, If anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all. And I realised that if, that if I was saying, God, I need wisdom, that automatically means God's got to speak. Because that's the only way wisdom can come to you. He doesn't invade your brain in the night. He's speaking to you. It's a promise from God that he's going to talk to you. So that means I've got to listen. One man out of 601 called for the linen ephod. And the Bible says, he inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake? And he heard the word that got them the greatest victory that sustained them and kept them going. He heard the word that said, pursue. You've got to get the secret place. When you get in the secret place, don't just enjoy it and leave. When you're in, listen to me, when you're in there, ask God to lead you and give you wisdom. Amen. Get in that space. Get in that space. You've got all the other voices out there. They're yelling at you. All the other people that are out there, the other 600, it's all your fault. Well, we're now looking, hell, looking, hell, hell. you got all that. And one guy goes, it's kind of like for Maxwell Smart fans, it's kind of like the cone of silence. And I can hear nothing else except the voice of the Saviour. Here's number five, last one. It's not where you are, it's what you do where you are that makes the difference. When you're in the middle, look to God. When you're in the middle, lean on God. When you're in the middle, listen to God. Number five is when you're in the middle, lead forward with God. Think about this. And again, this never occurred to me until I was preparing this message. And I'm walking through the bush in my house and walking the dog and I'm praying and praying about tonight and about all of you. And I realized that almost every miracle Jesus did required action by the person seeking it. When Jesus turned the water into wine, I guess he could have filled the pots with water supernaturally. The God who made it rain could certainly do that, but he didn't. He said, you fill the pots. You do that. And he required that. Think about the man who's who's brought paralyzed in front of him. Somebody had to lower him down through the roof. Jesus never just happened to walk past him. Think about the man who came to Jesus who was blind and Jesus spat in the ground, made mud, put it in the man's eyes. And he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is about four kilometers away. Lord, wouldn't a little tub of water at the house next door have done? Why is that? Why does God, listen to me, why does God often do things that require you to get out of your place of comfort? Huh? Why does God say the tithe is not a tenth? He says it's the first tenth. It's not a tenth, it's the first tenth. Why? Because God doesn't want you to fit him in somewhere in all the ten tenths. God's determined you're going to put him first in everything in life. Almost every miracle of Jesus. Fill the pots with water, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man is paralyzed, rise, take up your bed and walk. He got carried there, but Jesus asked him to do something extraordinary. 
said to the, the 10 lepers, go show yourself to the priests. And the Bible says, and as they went, they were healed. Why is that? Because if you and I are in the middle, we've got to listen to God. We've got to look for God. We've got to listen to God. We've got to lean on God, not on others. But then we've got to get ready to do something to take us forward. Amen. You know, we need a new church building. It'd be so easy for us to sit down and say, oh, Lord, give us the vision. Mm-hmm. How, many people, how many people know God knows the address? He knows the street number. He knows how much marble and glass is in it, how much gold leaf is around it. I love my wife's doctrine. If you're going to have a miracle, you might as well have a big one. Amen. But you know, instead of that, every week, this morning after church, Rhonda and I get in our car, we go drive and look at another one. And I'm not the only one. Lots of people are investing. Why is that? Because God asks you, come on. We, we all want God to be Aladdin and the magic carpet ride. Beam me up, Scotty. Instead of that, Jesus says, come on, where you are, come on. I know there's people here tonight and you need this. It's a word from God to you because you're there telling God why and why not and how come. And the Lord's speaking to you tonight saying, come on, start looking for the secret place. Pull back the cover. He's saying to you, when you're in there, listen for God. And when you listen for God, never come out of the, if you can listen to God and come out and go, done. And there's nothing you need to do. I think you need to go back in. Because I think you walked out with half the instructions. Amen. Come on. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying is true. I, I reckon if you come out of there and all you got done that, God's got it. I, I kind of get a little bit tired of hearing Christians say, God's got it. I go, well, what are you holding on to then? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us tonight in Jesus' name. Team, please come. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We don't come to church, we come to you. We don't come to a building, we don't come to a program, we come to you. We come to you. We come to you. We come to you. So God, I pray tonight that each one of us, myself included, Lord, I'm not praying for them. I'm praying for us. So many of us here, Lord, we need to find the secret place where that thing, we get to hear your instructions for that day and that moment. I pray for the people here, Lord, for whom it's so long ago that they first heard that word and that anointing first touched them. And here they are years later and it's like a distant memory. But God, would you help us tonight in Jesus' name. I pray for people that are in the middle. God, I ask you that in this moment, in this place, you'll help us all to go forward. Not out of our own strength, but because you're in it. And the God who led us here is the God who'll take us on. So we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Save us, Lord, from all the voices that keep telling us what we can and can't achieve, what you'll do and won't do. 
And help us to hear you because you're the one whose word always comes to pass. Can we take a minute? I know time's pretty well gone, but can we take a minute? Just sing a song. I want you just to stay seated a minute. Just engage with God. I want you to worship right where you are. I know this might be a little bit, well, it's certainly not strange. You're used to God here, but just right where you are. I want to, as we worship, I want you just, some of you don't even need to sing it. You just need to go, God, here I am. I'm listening for you. There's a lot of clamor, a lot of sound, but I'm listening for you. God, what do you want me to do? And let your heart be moved to that place of saying, Lord, I'll do what you want. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Just let's worship.